Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. It's good to see you. If you're joining us online, we're really glad you're here, too. What do you do when someone hurts you and they seem to be getting away with it? In the movie Christmas Vacation, yeah. Clark, the main character, is expecting, just like every year, to receive a bonus from his work at the end of the year. And so uh, he has some family over, and they are celebrating Christmas together. It's before Christmas, and uh, he is shown that him talking to his coworker and saying, Hey, um, have you received the bonus yet? And Clark's getting nervous because no one has received these bonuses. And he decided for Christmas that year to purchase an in-ground pool for the family. And the way he paid for it was he wrote a check that he did not have funds to cover. See, check, you have to have money to, to pay for it. And, and he was waiting for this bonus check to come in so he could have the money in his account when they go to cash the check. And so he's getting nervous. And on Christmas Eve, the, the day is insane. And uh, all kinds of things are happening, and he's stressed. Everyone else at his, at his house is stressed, extended family who's over. Uh, and then they get a knock on the door, and it's the company courier. And the company courier says, hey, uh, here's, here's an envelope. I, I, it fell down in between the seats, and I just now saw it, and here it is. Merry Christmas. And Clark's face went from being really frustrated to all of a sudden being really happy because this was what he's been waiting for. So he, he takes his, his envelope, and as he's showing some happiness, the, the whole room, the, the collective mood changes, and everyone's excited. And so he goes in, and he, he's in the foyer of their house, and he goes to, to open up this envelope, and he pulls out a piece of paper that's folded, and he starts to read it. And as he's silently reading this, this letter, his face goes from a happy smile to a more crazed smile. You know, it's like, it's like this, and it's like, you know, the eyes, you, you get the crazy eyes. You, you know what I'm talking about. So you sometimes do it, or you saw your parents do it at times. And so everyone's like curious, like, what's, what's it say? Like, is it, is it bigger than you expected? And Clark goes to read it out loud. <clears throat> That's what he says. Uh, you are the recipient of now being a part of the jelly of the month club. <laughs> and he turns into a more devious smile and starting to become less of a smile. And Eddie, his cousin, <clears throat> is like, hey, Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> and uh, Clark proceeds, that it is, Eddie, that it is. And then he proceeds to do one of the most epic rants in film history. Out of anger and frustration. And as he's ranting and raving, he's complaining about his CEO of his company and saying how he wants, what he wants for Christmas is if anyone's looking for a last minute gift, uh, go and bring my CEO, uh, put a, put a bow on him and bring him to the house so I can tell him how I feel. And, and Eddie, uh, Clark's cousin by marriage, uh, he, he decides to take matters into his own hands. Everyone's got a cousin Eddie. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. If you don't know him, it's you. <laughs> and so Eddie goes and he gets in his RV. And he drives to this uh, rich guy's neighborhood and he kidnaps him, 
brings him back with a bow on him. I don't know where he got the bow, but he got the bow. Uh, and he, he pulls up, opens the door and says, ho, 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 here he is. What do you do when someone wrongs you and they seem to be getting away with it? See, Eddie took matters into his own hands, decided to do something about it. And that's what we oftentimes do, right? We either do something about it or we fantasize about doing something about it, don't we? When someone has ever hurt you, you seek to get revenge or you want to get it. What do you do when someone hurts you? That was a question that the first century Christians were wrestling with in the book of James. And he's going to talk about it because these were people who have been wronged by someone who has power, someone who has wealth. And James is going to take on the, uh, the, the role of what would be like an Old Testament prophet and speak against these people who have hurt these Christians who were impoverished, who were vulnerable, who couldn't do anything about it. Now, all throughout this, this letter that James has been talking about, he's been dealing with, <clears throat> with things that had to do with real life. These were not theoretical things. And, and every moment he's talking about these things, these Christians in the first century would have had that uh, those words go straight to their heart. And I hope and pray that as we've been walking through this, you've had times where God's been speaking to you directly too. So if you've ever been hurt by someone, this is what James is saying on behalf of God to those people who hurt these Christians. So in James chapter 5 is where we'll be. And uh, this is what James says. Come now, you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. That's super pumped. I think it's super exciting, right? So it's like James is, is, he's the guy who went into the future and came back in, of course, his DeLorean and is telling these rich people who have wronged them what is to come. He's giving them the movie preview of what is to come. Hey, you have done all of these things. You have mis, uh, mistreated these people and you are about to deal with it. This is not going to be swept under the rug. Even though you think that right now your life is good, it's not going to end up that way. Like how many times have you been hurt by someone and it seems like they are just fine? It's not, it's not hurting them. It's not bothering them. It's not changed their life. And yet all throughout your day, you are stewing over it. It's changed you. You're frustrated. You're angry. All the while, it seems like it's not done anything to them. Have you ever been there? And so James is saying to these rich people, whatever they're like, this is what is coming. Like, think about it. Look at it. Come, come now, you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. He's saying, hey, I don't know if it's going to happen now or in the next life, but you will pay. You will weep and you will wail over what is coming on you. Your wealth, the things that you have accumulated and stacked up and tried to work for, and you've even mistreated people in the end of getting more of it. Your wealth is rotted and your clothes that you have is status to show everybody you got it going on. It's fit. You got swagger, all that. You look good. It's going to be moth eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. The very thing that you've stacked up, you've made your life about is the very thing that's going to burn you in the end. And so James is coming in hot. 
See, one of the things that we notice them not doing, that they are not utilizing their wealth in a way that it was purposed to be utilized in. Think about it like this. You have a good meal, right? Cook some meal. Uh, and it's, it's good. You got uh, some leftovers, so I guess it wasn't that great, or maybe you just got too full. Uh, we'll, we'll let it be. Um, but you, you put the, the leftovers in the container, right? You put them in the plastic container, you put it in the fridge. And you know, like, you got a couple days to eat it, right? One, two days, you got to eat it. Like, you ain't going to leave it there for a week and eat it. That ain't going to work out for you. But what happens, like, let's say, uh, not that you've ever done this, but let's just hypothetically say it was sitting behind some stuff and you forgot about it for a week or two. What happens to that food? You might get some mold, like some some uh, mold on it. Like it might mold might be growing up on that stuff, right? It's it's not good. Well, why does that happen? Because food, that food was not utilized to fit its purpose, right? It was it was cooked so that you would eat it within a certain amount of time, and if it just sits there. It's just stored there. Eventually, it's going to rot away. And, and James is saying, that's what's happening with these rich people's wealth. You stacked it up, and that's all it's done. And eventually, it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but eventually it will rot away. It will corrode. And it will be useless. And so James is saying, hey, um, this is something to pay attention to, friend. And he's talking, remember, as we go through this, as we walk through this passage, remember this, uh, we're putting ourselves in the sandals of the Christians who were wronged by these people. Okay, the, he, James is speaking against someone out in the society, not people in the church. But, even though that's true, and we should keep that in mind as we walk through this, keep in mind too, that we ourselves are not immune to misusing our resources. And sometimes even hurting people ourselves. Whether it be financial, whether it be social, relational, morally, like it it doesn't matter. Like all of us have the ability to hurt someone, don't we? And so James is going to say exactly what these people have done. So he goes on in verse 3, he says this. You have stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld, the pay that you withheld, From the workers uh, who mowed your fields, the pay, it cries out. And the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. He's heard. He notices. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. So I want to break down like what he's saying. But before we do that, understand that these were the people he's speaking to were likely wealthy landowners in the region who they had a lot of land and they had a lot of money. And, you know, this is not an age where you got uh, cars and you're just kind of like, hey, my commute is an hour long uh, and that's just fine. You were working in your region where you were. That's where you're working. So your options are a little bit limited. And so if you're going to not have your own land, you're going to work someone else's land, you are at the mercy of this person. And so these wealthy landowners, they decided that they're going to take advantage of the people who are working for them. And they were stacking up money even faster because they were not paying them, which we'll see in a minute. But the first thing that they did is that they stored up treasure in the last days. They stored up treasure. They, they saw their, their essence, their chief end in life was to store up as much stuff, stack up as much wealth as they possibly could. 
And, and they were celebrated for it. Things were working out. But understand this. What James is getting at is that they were doing something that wasn't good for their heart and for their soul. It wasn't good for them. Why? Because they were being financially constipated. Think about it. It's a picture. A lot was coming in, stacking on up. But now much was going out. Not good for the spiritual bowels, you know. Because what they started to convince themselves of is that's important. That's what they're supposed to do. Stack up as much stuff. It doesn't matter who gets hurt in the wake. It doesn't matter. That's the, that's the goal in life is to just get as much money as you possibly can. And they were celebrated for it. Life was working out. Have you ever been hurt by someone and it seemed like they were getting away with it? And not only that, but they were benefiting from the hurt that they caused for you. James is addressing that very thing for these Christians who are hurt by these people. And he's speaking to them. Hey, you've done this. You've stacked up. You stored it up. And yet what he's saying is that the things that they stored up were the very things that were testifying against them. Here's the thing, y'all. This is important to understand about life, about the world. About the universe, about the way reality is. Everything that is was created by God. And that means that He's the King. He's the one who is the only one who's worthy of our worship. And the cool thing is about the way the world works is that animals know this. Y'all know that whales sing? You ever heard them? Did you know that stars make noise? Out in the universe, there's a heavenly chorus praising our God. And I got a sermon that we put all that together. And it, I don't have to do that sometime for us. You can sing with stars and whales. It's fun. But everyone, every created thing, seems to know who their God is. Except for us, a lot of times. We're the ones who usually get it twisted. And did you notice what was crying out? And reach the ears of the Lord of hosts. He says, look, verse 4. The pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields. The pay cries out. The money you withheld that's over here in the corner. That pay, the money, the resources, the gold, the silver, whatever it is. Is crying out and telling on you. Tattle telling. Why? Because the world, the universe bends toward justice. It may not seem like it right now, but one day, justice will rain down on every single person who's ever wronged anyone, who's ever wronged God. And guess what, my friend? That includes you and me. And so James is saying to these wealthy landowners, um, you're being condemned by the very thing you've set your life to, to accumulate. It is going to burn you. If you hurt people, eventually you'll be the one crushed. It's just a matter of time. The second thing that these people did is they cheated their workers of their pay, as we just talked about. They cheated their workers out of the pay that they were due. But what are you going to do? Like, put yourself in their sandals. You're, you're the, the impoverished worker. You've, you've got only a little bit of opportunities. You've only got a little bit of options who, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters? They ain't going to help. I'll throw that in there. But who are you going to talk to, right? Your boss? The owner? 
The wealthy landowner is saying, hey, you, you know, you work two weeks. You got your two weeks in. Payday comes. Ain't nothing there. What you going to do? You going to talk to him? Talk to her? Whatever it is. What are they going to say? Sorry. Not sorry. Go on. Who are you going to talk to? HR? Ain't no HR department. You going to go to the authorities? There's no laws to, to protect workers. That's a new thing, y'all. Who are you going to talk to? You going to try and sue them? Can you afford the possible attorney fees and court costs that you might have to endure if you lose? You going to be able to do that? These people were powerless. They felt that way. And James is speaking against these people. So what are you going to do? Like, maybe you've been wrong the time or two, and they seem to be getting away with it. What's the question you start to ask eventually? It's like, okay, I can't come up with any answers here on why this is happening. God, why? Right? God, why? Why is this even happening? Why are you allowing this to happen? And what we see that James is saying is that God notices when someone hurts you. God knows. They may try to brush it under the rug. You may try to stuff it in your heart. But he knows. He notices. And he will deal with it. A lot of times we're the ones who put things in our own hands and we think that we can be the ones to perfectly avenge, perfectly get revenge, get them back, get even. And when James is saying, hey, friend, the Lord's, the Lord's got this. The Lord's got this. See, uh, the third thing is they did is that they lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. This is, this is what it says. Verse 5, you have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You've lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. Y'all, we live in a culture right now that celebrates living in luxury and, self, and being self-indulgent. Right? I mean, think about it. On, some, on, on even small levels. So we get something nice, we celebrate it. You, you, you're winning, celebrate it. If you use all your wealth and you buy something new for yourself, everyone's going to celebrate it. They're not going to ask the question, well, how are you using that? Are you using your wealth to, to bring glory to God and to be good for people? Or are you just using it for yourself? A lot of us, we live in a culture, all of us, we live in that culture that celebrates that. And even though many of you follow Jesus, uh, even though you, you're, you surrender to him and want to live uh, in the way that he's calling you to live, it's easy sometimes to just creep right into that way of thinking too. That, oh, this is, this is the chief end in life. I need to accumulate. I need to get more. I need to do what I want. I need to use it for what I want, right? Because we live in, a, in an independent, uh, self-individualistic society, right? We want it's, it's my money, and I need it now. Uh, I worked hard for this. I deserve this. This is mine. I, I should be able to do with it what I want. I don't need no God telling me what to do, Right? And even though you may not say that with that amount of boldness, you may think it sometimes. How many times have we gotten to the point where we just, hey, I just want this. I don't care what it, what it means morally, ethically, whether it's financial or otherwise. I, it's, it's what I want. We live in a culture that says, hey, uh, as long as it makes you happy, that's what you should do. If it feels good, do it. If it makes you happy, no matter on no question on morals or anything, if it makes you happy, you should go on and do it. You do you, girl. 
I died inside just saying that just now. <laughs> That's not how the world should work. It's not going to work out. See, a better framework for money, because think about it, y'all. We're talking about rich people, and I know we've kind of defined who the rich people are. The people who are doing some wrong with their wealth. Um, but as I reminded us all the time, like whenever we talk about rich people in Scripture, um, if you're in America, which, hey, welcome, uh, and, and you make even an average income, you are in the top 2% of the wealthiest people in the world. And so the rich people like that, that's, we have to look at both sides of this. Maybe you've not been holding people from, from pay, uh, or, or maybe you've not been mean to your employees, or you may, but, but there's a possibility there if you've got some resources. And in comparison to the rest of the world, a lot of us have far more resources. Even if you make a meager wage, you're in the top 10% of the most wealthiest people in the world. Just because you live here and because you work here. And so that means that we need to think about how we utilize our resources. We have to ask the question, what would God want us to do with our wealth and our resources? How would he want us to use them? He would want us to use it in a way that would bring him glory and to bring people's good about. Because of the way that we use our wealth. Because everything is the Lord's. Everything on earth and everything in the universe, everything, including you. You are not your own self. Like you do not belong to you. You belong to God. You don't get to decide who's in charge. You can try and live as if you're in charge, but friend, it ain't going to work out. Because you're a terrible God. You're a terrible God to other people. You're a terrible God to yourself, especially yourself. And so we have to surrender to him and say, hey, what do you want in this? Because he's given us the, whatever resources you've got, whatever you got in your bank account, whatever access to funds you've got, whatever's sitting in your 401k, whatever. That's all been given to you by God to manage for his glory and people's good. It's been given to you. He's telling you to manage it. You're borrowing it. And the way you use it could either hurt or help. And so we have to look at both sides of this. But he goes on and, and he wraps up his conversation with these people like this. He says this in verse 6. You have condemned. You have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. He's summarizing. You've condemned these people. You have murdered their livelihood. And they didn't resist you. In other words, what he's saying in all this is that there is no wrong. No wrong will go unpunished. No wrong will go unpunished. No sin, no hurt, no thing that you did against the person or against God will go unpunished. That's true for these rich, wealthy landowners from the first century, and it's true for you and me, and it's true for the person who hurt you too. No wrong will go unpunished. Some of us, we've forgotten how serious sin is to God. How serious he takes our actions. Because when you sin against a person, you're not just sinning against them. You're sinning against him. Against God himself. And he takes that very seriously. But have you ever been hurt by someone? This is something to rest in. That no wrong will go unpunished. There's not a thing that's been done to you that will not be punished by God. And if you've been the one who's hurt someone, no wrong will go unpunished. So the call is to repent and turn away from what you've done, to seek reconciliation. 
to rest in the fact that no wrong will go unpunished or to repent because no wrong will go unpunished. And some of us, we've got both going on at the same time. See, Jesus is the one, uh, his very arrival to the earth, him coming down was a declaration of our sinfulness and God's love at the same time. You see, no wrong will go unpunished. All of us have done some wrongs that will be punished in the end. And Jesus came as king, as conquering king, to declare the kingdom of God has arrived. And he said that, hey, if any of you have done something wrong against God, which, by the way, is all y'all, all everyone who ever existed, they've wronged God. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. All are sinners. He says, hey, no wrong will go unpunished. None of it. You can either come to the king, that is Jesus, and he's given you an opportunity to say, hey, take your sins, take your wrongs that you've ever done and hand them to me. I'll take care of it. But you have to surrender to me as king of your life, king of the universe, because that is who I am. And I will pay the penalty for you. You have a choice. You can either give it to Jesus, the sin that you've committed, and he will pay for it on the cross. He will include that in what he has done for you. No wrong will go unpunished. So that means your sin will either be punished on the back of Jesus or on yours. And you get to decide. You get to decide if you will be the one to pay for your sin or if Jesus will be the one. To pay for your sin. And by the way, if you choose to do it yourself because you think you got it going on, it's going to take all of eternity to try and pay that. It still ain't going to work. Because the penalty is too far high for you to pay. And that's the same thing that is true for the one who hurt you, too. Because Jesus came into a messy world full of enemies of God. Every one of us. Before Jesus saved us, We were enemies of God. He came down into enemy territory. And we were the ones who hurt him in an infinite way because we sinned against him. And even though that's true, he decided to love us even so. So what's true about the person who hurt you is also true of you. They also have an opportunity to receive grace and forgiveness. No wrong will go unpunished. The wrongs that they've done will either go on Jesus' back or theirs, and they get to decide. But you don't get to decide that for them. Sometimes someone's wronged us, and we don't see how God's working out the justice in it. It's not up for us to understand all the ways. It's up to us to be like Jesus, who's called us to be followers of his, right? To love people who even hurt us. Jesus says to love your enemies And pray for those who persecute you. My friends, love is not easy. Love is messy. You want to live a nice put together life? Don't love. If you want to live a life that God's calling you to live, love. Even those who hurt you. And it's easy to proclaim. It's easy to say. It's not easy to live. But guess what? That's the very same thing that Jesus did for each and every one of us. We were enemies of his, and he came to reconcile us to the Father. And so that means that if you've got someone who's wronged you, rest in the fact that no wrong will go unpunished. 
If you are someone who has hurt someone, understand this. No wrong will go unpunished. God did not just brush that aside. He sees it. He notices it. And if you are a follower of Jesus who's living in unrepentant sin, my friend, turn away from it. You may think, oh, it's something I'm doing in the dark, in my own time. No one's getting hurt by it. It's just private. That's still impacting you and it's going to impact the people around you. And it's sinning against God himself. Repent and turn away from it. Whatever it is. If you're someone who hasn't surrendered to Jesus as the Lord and King, then surrender to Him. He is the King. And He's offering an opportunity to take on your sin so that you can have life, so that you can have forgiveness and freedom. Because when you try to hold on to the things that you've done, you may think, oh, maybe I can just stack up enough good things to be able to outweigh the bad. Maybe I can just, maybe I just do enough good. And if I just try to work it out, maybe God will have mercy on me. My friend, that's not how it works. One sin is an infinite cost. You're not going to make up for that. The only one who can pay that payment and give you freedom is Jesus. God the Son coming down to pay an infinite price for you. And the only one who can do that is an infinite God. And he's the one who decided to do it. And that is good news. See, no wrong will go unpunished. So for those of us who have some resources, we need to understand, we need to approach our money in a way that brings glory to God. That's not just about us, ourselves. It's not just about stacking up enough so that we can have our own little kingdom. Because, you know, some days it's nice to have your own little kingdom because you get to be the king or queen. Right? But that crown's not for you. It's for him. So... This is, this is what it would be like for us to live in a way. Like maybe some of us, we've, we've done something that we know we've hurt someone. Well, this is what happened to a man named Zacchaeus. Maybe you've heard about him. He's a short guy. Jesus was coming into town and he's walking through town. And, and, and Zacchaeus, because the crowd was there, because everyone loved to see Jesus. Did you know everyone likes Jesus? Not everyone surrenders to him. Mic drop. That was what that was. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, and so he he climbed a tree because he couldn't see. He climbed a tree, and as Jesus walking down the road, you know, I think Jesus would have walked like this, you know, because he's king, like a little swagger, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and he said, "Hey, Zacchaeus, I see you." Zac- Jesus knew exactly what Zacchaeus was. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was a, a, a big, rich guy who, who, he's short, but he had a big business. He had a lot of money, and his, his thing was he had a bunch of other tax collectors who worked for him, and he was taking it off the top, a little pyramid scheme, and he was making lots of money off the backs of people who were being wronged because he was taking that money unjustly. And so Jesus looks at this sinner, this person who has done a lot of wrong, just like you and me, and says, hey, Zacchaeus, uh, come down from there. I'm going to have lunch with you. And, and for the first century people, like to have a meal with someone, that was a big deal. Just like it is today. Like you, you are gonna av- try to avoid eating with someone you don't like, right? You don't wanna do that, like, you know, family reunions. I'm sorry, I'm busy. I haven't even told you the date. I'm just busy, you know? That's a joke, y'all. You know, it's just a joke. It might be true. Uh, I don't know. 
But that was a big deal for, for Jesus to say, hey, Zacchaeus, chief tax collector, a uh, traitor to the, to the, to the Jews and, and worker for the Romans, the, the occupying nation. Let me go hang out with you. And we don't know what happened inside of this uh, meal at Zacchaeus' house. We don't know the conversation. We don't know what Jesus said, but we do know Zacchaeus' response. And it was basically this. Oh man, I see that you, Jesus, are the Messiah, the King, the one who has promised to come. You are the one who is worthy of all my worship, all of my praise, my life itself. And so, here's what I'm going to do. Because I know who you are, I know that my chief end in life doesn't have to be what I've been living. Your future friend does not have to be what your past has been. It can change because Jesus can change it. See, Zacchaeus said, hey, uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take anyone I've ever wronged. I'm going to pay them back uh, three times the amount. And and I'm going to reconcile my relationship with my brothers and sisters because I've been reconciled to God. My friends, that is what we get to receive as promises as those who get to surrender to Jesus. If you're still living, you're still breathing right now, you have an opportunity to surrender to Jesus. Maybe for the very first time, maybe for the thousandth time, and you get to recommit your life or commit your life to Him for the very first time. And say, hey, Jesus, you're worth it. You're more worth it than any of my net worth, any of the things I'm stacking up, any of the things I've been wrong. I can let go of this burden I've been carrying because I've been holding a grudge against the person who's hurt me. And I can, I can rest in the fact that no wrong will go unpunished. And how God deals with that person, I don't know. I want them to know Jesus because I know how much I've done wrong in my life. And I know that I needed forgiveness just like they do. And we get to give it to him or them or her, whatever, whoever it is that you're thinking of. We give it to Jesus and we say, hey, please take it. And we seek reconciliation with those around us. And and so there's two options for us, maybe a third. If you've been hurt by someone, rest that no wrong will go unpunished. Rest in that. It's not up to you to make it right. It's not up to you to, to, to get even. It's not up to you to bring justice down. Unless you work for the government and enforcing law in this world. But, you may be someone who Maybe God's convicting your heart a little bit because you've wronged someone. You've sinned against someone. It doesn't matter if it was financial, relational. You're just rude and mean. You need to repent of that. You need to repent and change your mind about what you've been doing. You felt like you were justified. You weren't. If you sinned against someone, you are not justified. You need justification. You need to repent and turn away from that. And you need to seek reconciliation with the person you wronged. See, God has said that as followers of Jesus, we have been reconciled to our Father through Jesus. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. And what that means is to make the relationship right. It may not make it the same as it used to be. But to seek reconciliation. So what that means is, Christian, if you've sinned against someone, get over yourself, repent to God, and go to them and apologize. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Just like Jesus reconciled you to the Father when you didn't deserve it, you need to be the one who reconciles yourself to your brother and sister by God's power.
So I don't know. Maybe it's maybe for you it's resting in the fact that no wrong will go unpunished and repenting because no wrong will go unpunished. I don't know. Maybe it's both. And so I just want to give you a little bit of time. As we pray, I'd love for us to stand. We're going to pray, and I just want to encourage you right now to let God search your heart. Do you need to rest in that fact? Do you need to repent because of that fact? Draw close to God, and he will draw near to you. If you're someone who's never surrendered to Jesus, we'd love to talk to you after service. You can talk to me, an elder, another staff member. Go to the Welcome Center. you got options. Talk to someone. Say something. We'd love to talk to you about what that looks like. If you need prayer, talk to us. Talk to someone near you. Open up. Let God in. And let his people in. So let's allow God to search our hearts. Church, would you stand? We're going to pray. King Jesus, we come to you thanking you that you are that. You are our king. You are in charge. You are the one who came to rescue us when we didn't deserve it, when we were too far gone. We couldn't see, uh, the, couldn't see our home. We couldn't see uh, our father. You, you came to pursue us. God, would you not stop? We come to you thanking you that you endured the mess and you do it every day. The mess that that's caused by loving us. Father, for those of us who have been hurt by someone, and we've been holding on to it, we've been fantasizing about how we can get even or how we would want to. But how much injustice we've dealt with, how much hurt has been caused by someone else in our heart. And we know that we are holding on to it. God, I pray that you would take it from us, help us to rest in the fact that you've got it, to meet us and give us grace to understand what you're doing. Father, for those of us who we've, we've hurt someone, we've sinned against someone. We've sinned against you. Father, would you help us to get over ourselves, to humble ourselves, and to come before your throne and surrender it all to you, to repent, to turn away, to change our mind about what we've done, to not see ourselves trying to just justify ourselves, but to look at what we've done as sin, to not only apologize and repent to you, but to do it to the person we wronged. God, give us courage to do that because it's hard. Father, for those of us who have kind of find, found ourselves in both places, help, help us to work it out. Holy Spirit, please have your way in us. God, we thank you that you are the judge, you are the justifier, you are the one who gets to condemn sin and free the sinner. We thank you that you did that for us. Help us to never grow weary. Help us to never forget where we've come from. Humble us, Lord, so that we can love people like you, Jesus, have loved us. Hear our worship. Hear our praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.